And let's be clear, we exist only as a Great Commission people. We exist in order that sinners will hear the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ and believe and be saved from all the nations. The marching orders of the Church of Jesus Christ were to go into all the world and preach the gospel because the gospel has the power unto salvation. This is what it means to follow Christ. A call to live, a call to die, a call to spend your life for Jesus here and around the world until he returns. This is Amazon to the Himalayas podcast. I'm your host, Paul Aiken, and I'm excited for us to start a new season today focused on the missionary task. What is it that missionaries do? How are they spending their time, energy, and resources? Our guest today is Dr. Keith McKinley. Dr. McKinley serves as Associate Professor of Christian Mission at the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary. He also serves as Director of the Bevan Center for Missions Mobilization on campus as well. More importantly, he's a colleague and a friend and a veteran missionary of 20-plus years with the International Mission Board, and I'm excited to have some conversation with him today. Dr. McKinley, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much. I'm delighted to be here. Uh, just a great opportunity. So thank you. Yeah. Why don't you start by just telling us a little bit about uh, what you currently do at Southern Seminary? Uh, thank you so much. So I am a associate professor of Christian missions. And so I teach pretty much everything involved in that great task and that great work. For the most part, it uh, centers on teaching missiology and church planting, both in a, in a domestic or local context, as well as an intercultural context. But then some, I guess you could call them ancillary, although they're pretty important sorts of emphases, such as spiritual warfare and leadership in intercultural contexts. I'm also the director of the Bevan Center for Missions Mobilization, which is very exciting. Honestly, it is like it. So being invited to teach here in the first place was like giving a, a nice big, you know, ice cream sundae. And then being asked to direct the Bevan Center was like putting chocolate syrup and sprinkles on top. It just made it all the more special. So I get to help us as a campus community both the online and the on-campus, help us as a community figure out how we can participate in the missionary mission. Mm. Now, before coming to Southern, you and your family spent uh, several decades serving on the mission field. Can you tell us some about that, maybe where you were serving? Sure. And actually, my missionary experience and that of my wife began when we were born. We're both what I like to call repeat offenders. Uh, what I mean by that is I was born and raised on the mission field. My parents were IMB missionaries uh, in Bangladesh, and that's where I was born, and that's where I grew up. So I got to witness the missionary task as it was played out or as my parents and their colleagues worked in it, their colleagues, both U.S. citizens as well as the Bengali believers. My wife had the same experience, but in her case, it was in Brazil. She was born and raised in Brazil. Then we came back, independent of one another, uh, back in the United States, started college, met each other, and began medical uh, work. We both in the medical field for a number of years, and the Lord called us to international missions. And so we began, after the time of preparation at, at Southern Seminary, went overseas to Southeast Asia, and there was on a church planting team, not long after became a team leader, after a little while longer, became what we call a strategy coordinator. Uh, which is a lot less impressive than it sounds. Uh, <laughs> um, and then after a few years became a cluster leader 
And I actually, over a period of 13 years, led three different clusters in Southeast Asia. So leading groups of teams, a number of teams, doing that missionary task there in Southeast Asia. And then our last, uh, I think it was three years or so, I had a great title. Uh, it was Innovation Specialist, which uh, basically means I get to make up stuff. The idea was to uh, identify problems that we had, especially in leadership and strategic planning, and try to come up with solutions for those problems. Well, that's great. That's great. Well, we're we're thankful, and I personally am thankful that the Lord has led you here to Southern Seminary, uh, especially with that experience as we think through how do we best train those that the Lord wants to send out in the days ahead. So glad you're here. Now, I mentioned at the beginning that the focus of this new season is going to be on the, the missionary task. There's lots of conversation, discussion today about uh, global mission work. Uh, oftentimes, a lot of things that are put under the the larger umbrella of missionary work. And you and I you know, have had some conversations along these lines before. But as we think about the, the missionary task, I want to ask you first to maybe describe that for us. What is the missionary task and, and why is it important? We can think of it in a couple of ways. I think the best place to start is the most familiar way, and that is in terms of Matthew 28, the Great Commission, to go into all the world and make disciples or go make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, teaching them everything that I have commanded, Jesus said. So what does that mean? We also have more help from Paul in the book of Romans, where he describes that missionary task as bringing about the obedience of faith among the nations for the glory of God. That's Romans 1, 5. So those uh, two passages in particular, and there's more, but those two passages in particular help us understand the missionary task. I think it's very helpful, though, that we frame it in terms of its components. So we speak of of, uh, entering and evangelizing or sharing the gospel, if you will. We speak of making disciples, uh, forming healthy churches, raising up and developing leaders for those churches, elders or pastors. Uh, And then finally, uh, exiting from that particular work of of leading the missionary task as we indeed turn over the full missionary task to those local churches. Okay, so as you describe that, there are those core components. I think that's really helpful to kind of think through, yeah, those big blocks, right? So entry, evangelism, discipleship, church planting leadership development, and then and then exit to partnership. Now, would you say that the missionary task is best understood sequentially? Uh, in other words, is there a particular order that someone needs to go in, or, or how do you think through kind of that, that process? Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's sequential, but not transitional. <laughs> so what do I mean by that? Well, because actually there is a little bit of transition too. Um, I think it's, it's hard to get a one word to explain what we need to do. It is sequential because we we do need to start with going to where the gospel is not. Uh, That is part of the the missionariness of the missionary task. And what I mean by that is the very word missionary uh, is taken from uh, the Latin term, which is basically, uh, not basically, which is translating for us the Greek term. And so the idea is that we would we would send those set apart by the Holy Spirit, that we would send them to where the gospel is not. Paul spoke of it in terms of uh, bringing about the obedience of faith among the nations where the gospel has not yet, or where Christ is not yet known, for example. So we have those issues of entry, actually going to that place and establishing ourselves, and that in itself is complex. 
establishing ourselves in and that place and being able to communicate the gospel faithfully and understandably in that place. So that has to happen before we can then begin to evangelize or share the gospel. If there's if there are no believers, then it makes sense to evangelize or share the gospel. Now, once you have believers, then it's time to disciple and so on with church formation and then leadership development. So there is a sequence to it, but the sequence doesn't mean that that when we get believers that evangelism is over because now we're into disciple making. What it means is that the primary task of the missionary, the sent one, that their role changes, that they need to do what needs to be done as opposed to what they were doing in a sense. Now, the only way that will work, though, is if the local believers take up that, I often refer to it as a birthright of the church, it's if they take up their own place, and their own role in the missionary task. So as believers come about as a result of evangelism and the missionary begins to disciple those, well, then those new believers in turn should take up that task of evangelism. And as the church is formed, more and more of the discipleship, not all of it, of course, but more and more of it needs to be taken up by those local believers who were receptive to the gospel in the first place. And so there is a sequence and there is a transition, but it doesn't mean that the prior elements or components are dropped completely. They should be taken up by the local church and moved out of the missionaries' hands into the hands of the local church as they take up that birthright. That's a that's a really helpful explanation. Now, I know when you served in the field that you were a team leader for several teams, and then you were also kind of supervising teams of teams uh, at various points. And then now you're, you're training and you're sending new missionaries. So my question for you would be, if a new missionary, you know, came to you today and said, hey, I'm going to, you know, this context in Asia or this context in the Middle East, where should I start? in terms of the missionary task, how would you respond to that question? What would be some of the criteria, some of the things that you would be looking at in in terms of being able to give them some direction and guidance on where to begin? Right. I think the first thing I would do is to tell them, I don't have the specific answer, but let me tell you what you need to look for. Because I really want, what I really want to happen is I want that missionary to understand their context. What do I mean by the context? I'm talking beyond language and culture, although that is essential. You're not going to be able to understand the other things until or uh, as you learn language and culture. So that's baseline. But moving on from there, I look at two main parts. What's the state of lostness and the state of the church? So understanding there may be some element, it may be very, very weak. There may be some element of the church in existence. You may not be real happy with it. (laughs) It might not be mature. It might not be healthy and this and that. But we need to understand, well, what is there? There may be an appropriate level of partnership, if you will, of working together that we can do. Or that might even be part of the task to encourage that church, either by some form of correction or simply encouragement or teaching. So understand, well, what's the state of the church if indeed there is a church? So figure out for yourself and look for yourself. But then to also understand the state of lostness. A great way to, to think of it is, what's it like to be you? What's it like to be an unbeliever in this place? What is their life like? What is their context? When we know these kinds of things, we, will, we know better where in the missionary task to begin. By that, I mean, if there are 
no believers, well, then we begin with evangelism. If there are some believers, we, we might want to be heavier on discipleship. It's going to take some discernment. So what I really want the new missionary to do first is learn that uh, he or she, that they need to assess these things, to understand language and culture, and then to say, what's it like? What's the state of lostness? What's the state of the church? And from there saying, all right, knowing this, where do I think I am along the sequential pattern, if you will, of the missionary task, realizing we might need to have a foot in, in kind of two worlds. That's really okay. It makes it complex, sure. But we may have to have a foot in two worlds, so to speak. I love that framework. I think it's really helpful to think through, yeah, those two kind of key questions. What's the state of lostness in this particular location? What's the state of the church? You know, if, if there's two churches or if there's 2000 churches, then that's going to, that's going to have an impact on the way that you think about your strategy and your work. So I think that's really helpful. You know, one of the things that's really important for any job, any task is to be able to measure how you're doing, to be able to evaluate, you know, am, am I doing a good job? Am I not doing a good job? As you think about the missionary task, how do we measure? How do we tell if we're doing things right or not? Right. So there, there are a few ways of doing this. Uh, I think a typical way is for us to sort of count our output. Are we sharing? Are we baptizing? So this kinds of things. Are we teaching? Those are output measures. Uh, those are important because it, it helps us keep accountable for our behaviors, our actions. And I love it when uh, I'm left to myself, of course, and just free to do whatever I want to do, but we are all people under authority, and missionaries should be under the authority of the churches who sent them. It might be through an organization, uh, but still we have that responsibility to, to be accountable for activity. But there's another level to it. What about the impact of that output? In other words, what's the, uh, is there a result, a change in the society or uh, among the people? because of that activity. And so it's important for us to, to look at the response, if you will. So not only do we look at how many times I would share the gospel, for example, but we should also look at, in comparison to that, well, how many people are coming to faith? It's even important to look at professions versus baptisms. We might be seeing uh, elements of spurious conversion is an old sort of term, but a great term. Conversions for all kinds of reasons that really aren't conversions. That doesn't result in saving faith, uh, or at least it doesn't result in faith that's uh, being expressed in the obedience of baptism. Even then, that doesn't mean that everything is all hunky-dory, that everything's going great. Uh, we might have baptisms, and yet very little follows, very little obedience in terms of changed lives and transformation of heart and, and passions and behaviors. So you can already see that things are getting really complex really, really fast, aren't they? Well, one of the ways of looking at it is say, okay, let me back up and look at the missionary task. And as we're going along, do I see the local church picking up the missionary task? And are they taking it joyfully? So if we have churches are we seeing local believers taking up that task of discipleship? And are they more and more responsible for teaching new believers? And, and as they mature, even not so new, but intermediate, perhaps, discipleship. So I think that is a helpful way of looking at, at how successful we are. Or are we actually accomplishing that which we set out to do? Mm, that's good. I know you, you served in the field, and now you're serving at, at a seminary. 
training kind of the next generation of missionaries and workers. Uh, this has been, you're at an institution that's been training and sending missionaries now for over 160 years. So I want to ask, what role does theological education have in the missionary task? It's massive. <laughs> what do I mean by that? Well, first of all, theological education, it's part of the of the missionary task. Now we could say, ah, yeah, I spotted it. I looked and I saw entry, yeah, maybe not so much there. I saw evangelism, maybe not so much there. Discipleship, maybe not so much there. Maybe you only see it, ah, leadership development, because theological is a big word, so it must mean pastoral development. Well, I would say, well, yes, well, let's back that up a bit. Don't we believe that that theological preparation is necessary for the missionary that we send? So how important is theological education the missionary task? Well, it's essential from the very, very beginning. It's necessary for the very beginning. Let me put it to you this way. I think sometimes we have in our mind, and this is <laughs> so wrong. And when I say it, I think it'll make sense. But sometimes we have in our mind, you know what? I am just going to go. The Lord is sending me to where Christ has not yet been named, and they know nothing. So I just have to know a little bit more than nothing, and I'm good to go. Well, you know, that kind of, it makes a kind of sense if you just stop there. I'm going to take the gospel. I'll just take the simple gospel. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Very simple, truncated form, if you will, of the gospel that I can remember. I can probably learn it in just a couple hours, and I'll learn to communicate that, and we'll be good to go because they're at zero. So a little bit more than zero, that's what they need. Here's the problem. When you get what happens when someone believes, well, then you begin to disciple them. Well, what's it mean to disciple them? Well, to teach them the, the things that Christ taught, to teach them the things of the Bible. Well, that means you have to know little bit about what you're teaching. Well, after you get more and more disciples and they become more and more mature, then the things that they need to know are deeper and deeper. So we've moved on from proclaiming the gospel simple and sufficient. It is simple. Often a, a child will understand, and it's sufficient. It's sufficient to save, and, and praise God for that. But then we move on to where we the need of the local church is the gospel deep and complete. It's that gospel that, that keeps on giving, if you will. That gospel that though we read it time and time again, we see it has such depth and such richness. And it's everything that Christ, or the Lord, if I can, has commanded. And then we say, okay, fine, I can do that. Well, what about preparation of, of leaders for the church and, and elders, teachers, pastors for the church? That's a difficult and task for which you need a great deal of preparation. What happens when they come up with complex problems, either theological problems, or even if it's a social problem, they're looking for a biblical answer. Mm. Now, see, when you start thinking of like this, then all of a sudden, that theological preparation of the missionary becomes vital, necessary, essential. So my pitch is, if you feel that the Lord has called you to take the gospel where Christ has not yet been named, or to join someone who's maybe even further along in that task, and maybe there are believers. But if you believe that the Lord is calling you to that kind of work, then seek out appropriate preparation. And let's face it, I think that that best preparation is here at Southern Seminary. Mm, that's good. That's helpful. The Great Commission is a call to go. 
and a call to go is a call to prepare. Whether you're called to advance the gospel in your local church or on mission fields around the world, Southern Seminary is committed to preparing you for a lifetime of faithful ministry. Designed with flexibility and personalization in mind, the Master of Divinity in Great Commission Studies allows pastors, missionaries, and ministry leaders to prepare for their own unique call to ministry. It's designed to equip students with the biblical foundation and the practical training needed to present the gospel clearly in cross-cultural missional settings. To learn more about the Master of Divinity in Great Commission Studies, go to sbts.edu bgs or go to the episode notes for this podcast and click the link to the Billy Graham School of Southern Seminary. There, you'll learn how listeners to this podcast can save $40 when applying for classes. That web address again is sbts.edu bgs. Oftentimes when we think about missionary work in the Bible, we think about the Apostle Paul. Uh, and Paul's kind of the model. He's the example. But we know that we can tell in the New Testament when we read that Paul wasn't alone. Oftentimes he was joined with others uh, in many places, many others who were part of his apostolic band or his missionary team. Can you talk some about the importance of teaming and partnership in the missionary task? Yeah. And sometimes we misunderstand this. What I mean is sometimes we say, well, let me just jump ahead and say we accept the idea of a team that we should not go it alone. Okay. But sometimes we misunderstand that. We say, therefore, I need a bunch of other people, a team like me. So people who are from my culture, maybe even from my home church, people who are very, very like me so that we can be teamed together. So is that a team? Well, certainly can be, but it can also be a team when someone is sent from and and hope. I do want to go back to this sent from. So it's it's not only that God has called me, but that the body of Christ around me says, we agree (laughs) that God has called you. So even though we might be sent relatively alone, it might be me alone or me and my wife alone or me and my, my family alone, really the missionary task is meant to be done together with fellow believers. And so we might become team with local believers. Now, those local believers might be from the people to whom we're sent, might be from the host community. That's much better. It might be from the host community, or they may not. Perhaps among the host community, there are no or very few believers with whom to partner. So there might be a what we often call near culture Christian. So people who are from ethnicity or a culture that's similar to our host community uh, but they're so they're still outsiders, but they're not as outsider as you. They're not quite as foreign as you. What about them being being members of our team? I really saw this growing up. When I was a, a little kid, we lived in a place, a Noakali district, in a town called Finney. And back in those days, it was out in the middle of nowhere. We were certainly the only foreigners in the town of Finney. In fact, we were the only foreigners within probably three or four hours travel. But my parents were not alone and they were not, uh, they were not teamless by any means. There was a pool uh, specifically of young men who actually came over to eat every Sunday. And then we, after a bit of a rest, we'd play volleyball or horseshoes in the backyard. But these young men worked with my parents, specifically with my father in doing the missionary task. Dad had a team, but they weren't from the United States. They didn't have a blue passport. They were Bengali believers. And, and by the way, 
just shout out to these guys. Uh, they are still, my, my father is in heaven. Many of those, uh, those young men are now old men, and they're still ministering in Bangladesh, and they're leaders in the Bangladeshi Baptist Church there. Praise God. Oh, that's awesome. That's a great testimony. I want to transition to some kind of quick hitter questions as we come towards an end of our conversation. But I, f- I first want to ask, what would you say is the, the best resource for laying out and describing the missionary task. Obviously, we, we we know that it's there in the Bible, but if you had to give a resource or two besides the Bible that lays out the missionary task, what would you uh, recommend? Without a doubt, I think the most straightforward and clear presentation of the missionary task is in the IMB's Foundation magazine. That is the most direct and clear explanation. You might long for more, that's fine. Uh, we can give you more, but that's a great, a starting place and a good resource. That's great. All right. This is a fill in the blank type question. Uh, the most neglected aspect of the missionary task is blank. No doubt. Development of church leaders. That's it's a tough one. Well, you said quick answer. I was going to go on and expound for another half can, hour on yeah. it. <laughs> you, you can, yeah, feel free to expound a little further on it. All right. I think one of the reasons is it's quite difficult. It takes substantial preparation on the missionary's part to be able to prepare pastors and elders for the church. Uh, that's going back to what I said earlier about the importance of theological education. Well, you may have you may have launched yourself in a sense way too early without with inadequate preparation. And so you're not the person who is uh, qualified or maybe even gifted or talented or skilled to teach pastors. And so I think that's uh, a little rarefied. The air is a little rarefied there. It's we desperately need missionaries who are prepared to train pastors. By the way, that is usually not in a formal institutional setting. It's usually in a much more informal setting, but just as important. And we need to, how do we then teach the great things of God, the deep things of God, no matter what the setting and no matter what the preparation of those uh, that we teach, how do we teach these great deep things? So that's, that's quite difficult. I also think it's important for us to understand that that should not be the work of the majority of the missionary force. It takes fewer to train more at that level than it does at the early discipleship or the evangelizing level. Down at the early discipleship level, I think we're much more likely to need uh, one-on-one and one-on-two and and leading small groups of believers. So we have that intense into-your-life sort of discipleship. And so that takes a, a, a much greater number of missionaries. But we still need a few And we need a few in a lot of places in the world to do the deeper education. In fact, even to the point where we're training the the future theologians who will be able to train those who train the pastors for the church. I think that's, uh, I hate to use the word neglect, (laughs) but one of the more difficult areas. Yeah, that's helpful. That's good. You know, as uh, you train new missionaries now, obviously you at one point were training new missionaries on the other side of the world, now you're training them on another on, the, on this side of the world. What would you say is the best way to train them or at least to give them exposure to the missionary task? Well, if I'm talking about a field training, then I would say practice guided by a wise, experienced mentor. Now, for ministers and missionaries preparing here at Southern, I would say 
pick up opportunities that we offer through the Bevan Center, especially our mission trips and things like that. But on the field, getting that experience is important. The, the thing is, we have to be careful. There's a saying that's not true. And the saying is that, that experience is the best teacher. That's actually incorrect. Guided experience with a wise mentor is the best teacher. Because with a wise mentor, they can give us a framework of understanding that so we can understand our experience. And a wise mentor will also debrief and talk through our experience and help us learn from things that we did right and very often from things that we did wrong. So that guided opportunity, guided experience by a wise mentor, I think, is um, the best way to train a missionary on the field. That's a helpful response. Last question. What is one thing you wish someone had told you about the missionary task before you moved overseas? I think I knew this because I'm a repeat offender, and I may have been told it in one way or the other, but it bears emphasizing, and that is missions is a most difficult joy. It involves sacrifice and loneliness, sometimes suffering and loss, and these things are difficult to bear, so it's difficult. But by God's grace, in the midst of those difficulties and sacrifice and loneliness, it brings about dependence upon the Lord, and that brings joy. So I I think we need to be realistic and not fool ourselves. It is very hard. It's very difficult. It involves sacrifice. There's no, no doubt. At the same time, not to be afraid, not to shy away from it, not to be intimidated. For indeed, if the Lord has called you to this great work, and I hope he has, and I hope you're listening, But if he hasn't called you to this great work, as difficult as it is, because of his presence, he will bring you great joy. Mm. Amen. Keith, thank you so much for your time and for the conversation today. To hear more conversations like this, please subscribe to this podcast. Be sure to follow us on social media. Thanks again for listening to this episode. Thank you for joining us on Amazon to the Himalayas. This podcast is brought to you by the Billy Graham School at Southern Seminary. Please visit our website, www.sbts.edu bgs, where you can subscribe to the show and learn more. Also, if you have found these conversations helpful, please leave us a comment or a review and encourage your friends to subscribe to the podcast. Be sure to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter for more. This is Amazon to the Himalayas podcast.